when I first started out in this field, this was unimaginable. What we're doing now is absolutely unimaginable. It's science fiction, uh, really, and now it's a reality. Hello and welcome to RSPCA Australia's Humane Food Podcast. My name is Brian Daly and in this episode I'm envisaging we're going to hear a lot about DNA, RNA, gene editing, CRISPR slash Cas9 technology and how they can help solve a considerable ethical and welfare issue in the egg production industry. Because my guest today is Senior Scientist and Project Leader at CSIRO's Australian Animal Health Laboratory, Dr. Mark Tizard. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brian, and thank you very much for having me on today. Mark, that terminology merely represents my research for this episode, but uh, for you it must represent a good portion of your professional career and your involvement in the field of genetics from, would I be correct in saying, the pioneering days of the 1980s? Yes, indeed, uh, you're right. I mean, those are terminologies that are very familiar to me now, um, but yeah, way back in uh, the 1980s when I first started out in the field, some of this thing uh, in terms of technology was was unimaginable. And we've taken great strides in, in the last 30 years. So um, it's become very exciting and the possibilities are, are fantastic. I kicked off my career helping uh, identify a gene uh, in malaria that was being proposed as a vaccine. Um, I moved on quite rapidly to uh, working with some human viruses, herpes virus actually, again looking for cloning technology to help us find a vaccine and then moved on to uh, another field of bacterial disease which again was uh, started out as an interest in human disease and Crohn's disease which was linked to something called Yoni's disease in cattle and so I built up my skills across a wide range of, of areas and had the opportunity to try a, a lot of different things. I reckon any of those would fill an entire episode on its own but today I wanted to focus on the work you've done to hopefully eradicate this ongoing issue in the egg production industry and it's not the battery cage welfare issue for layer hens which a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. It's the issue of male chick culling. But before we get to your solution, could you give us an idea of the issue? Yeah, sure. So um, just coming out of the, the research background that I was in, uh, you know, we had the chance to work with viruses and bacteria. And as the technology's got more sophisticated, we've been able to take that right up to the level of working with animals. And we very quickly identified that there were some big needs in animal industries. And one of the highest profile ones, of course, is in the egg production. And the fact that uh, it's fairly obvious, but hens lay eggs, roosters don't. Uh, and unfortunately, that means that for the egg laying industry, the, the roosters uh, are actually surplus to requirement. Now, the interesting thing with chickens is uh, that many people don't realise the breeding of great strains that, that do really well and produce great meat or, or great eggs has led to two types of chickens. And it's a little bit like in the beef industry. People know that um, there's dairy cows and beef cows and you don't drink uh, milk from a beef cow and you don't eat steaks off a dairy cow. Mm -hmm. The same thing applies in, um, in the world of chickens and in poultry and so the genetics that you find in the uh, egg laying industry and the, the birds that are great at laying eggs means that when they eat food their body says look we don't need to turn this into muscle let's turn it into egg mm -hmm. which is great if you're a hen producing eggs but if you're a rooster it means that you're eating food and your body is not letting you turn it into muscle, which is what the, um, the industry is looking for. So it's unfortunate, but it's not economic for farmers to grow those roosters out and, and to put them to the, across to the meat industry. And so as a result, they basically, as soon as they can tell that they're a rooster, that they're male and not female, and that's at day old, mm. 
um, they're taken away and, and uh, humanely euthanized. And that's something that the industry really, really would love to get away from. They've looked and they've explored a range of different possibilities, but nothing presents itself as being, uh, as being really viable. And so, unfortunately, you have to hatch the birds and then take a look at these little day-old chicks and say, uh, you're a girl, great, off you go. Uh, you're a boy, sorry, you're, you're off for um, humane euthanasia. Uh, and so they've been calling out for this, and it was something that leapt out at us in the area of the technology that we were developing as a real possibility for us to employ um, this kind of genetic technology to bring about a solution that um, would really bring benefits both to the industry but also to the animal. Exactly, yes. It is a huge issue, obviously, with about 6 billion eggs eaten in Australia in a year. It's a large number of birds that need to be culled at the moment. Yep. That's absolutely right. So it's actually 23 million hens that are laying eggs for us here in Australia every year, mm. which means that every year there's 23 million day-old males that uh, have to go for um, humane culling. So your method can negate this wastage? Yes. Yeah, so the basic idea behind the technology is one that I think most people will be able to grasp. You and I, as you would know, are male and therefore we have the X and Y chromosomes. For our listeners out there that are female, they know that they have X and X as their chromosome sets. Those are the sex chromosomes mm -hmm. that from that single cell that came from the ovum and the sperm and the fertilization event. It was those chromosomes that told us whether we were going to become male or female. The same thing applies in chickens. They have two chromosomes, one that defines being male and one that defines being female. And so what we realized was with the advances in technology, and you mentioned one of those before, CRISPR uh, and Cas9, the technology that allows us to very precisely find and break DNA, it allows you to place a fragment of DNA very specifically in a location in all of the DNA that makes up the instructions for constructing an animal, in this case, the chicken. So what we've done is we've placed a gene on the chromosome that defines that the animal will be growing up as male. Mm -hmm. And that gene essentially expresses a little protein. It's a perfectly harmless protein. All it does is glow red when you shine a laser light onto it. Now, when an egg is laid, uh, many people will know this if they go to, to farms out in the country, but you can kind of see it on the eggs you see in the supermarket. When you crack an egg, lovely clear yolk, uh, clear white, and then a, a lovely yellow yolk, and on top of that yolk, sometimes you'll see a little white spot. Mm -hmm. That white spot is actually the ovum in the unfertilized eggs that we see in the supermarket, but in a fertilized egg, that little white spot is a ball of cells that is the beginnings of the making of the chick. That's a little ball of cells with no structure and as yet no real activity other than starting to build what will become the chick. Uh -huh. When we put this marker on the chromosome that defines that an animal is going to become male, it means that that little ball of cells, if it contains that chromosome and therefore is destined to grow up as a male, will glow. So what we can do is when the egg is laid by the mother hen, we can shine a laser through that egg right at that point of lay and we can see a little glow come back that tells us that the chromosome is there, the marker is there, and that it's going to be male. If we shine the laser in and there's no glow coming back, it means that the chromosomes in that egg, in that little embryo, are the ones that are going to lead to females, the hen. Wow. No glow means no gene, and that means you can take that egg and now put it in the incubator. They get incubated for 22 days at 37 degrees, and when they hatch, all that's going to hatch is females. Right. And the beauty of this system 
is that you take the egg away before it goes to the incubator, before there's any kind of structure, before there's all the bits and pieces that we recognise as ultimately the chick that comes out of the egg. It's just a tiny ball of cells. Effectively, it's like an egg that you might get when you're on a farm. Um, and so it contains the protein and the yolk uh, of, of the egg white and, and all the nutrients. You can take it out at that point and recover high-value material from that. And you're also only going to incubate half the number of eggs that are laid because yes. it's a typical thing with animals where they've got the two sex chromosomes, 50-50 in the population. Yes. So the males as an egg never go into the incubator. Now, if you think about that in Australia, instead of 46 million eggs going into incubators to be grown up and then hatched, only 23 million go into an incubator. Hmm. So at the end of the day, you halve the incubator space. At the end of that, what hatches is only females. So you don't now have to sort through and look for the males and euthanize those little day old chicks. Mm. Um, so it has potentially big impacts in terms of improvements for industry, not just in terms of removing this uh, ethical dilemma for them, yes. but improving the workflow and the profitability of what they're doing. Yes, that, that sounds absolutely fascinating. And I guess it's important to emphasise too that gene editing that you're talking about is quite different from GMO. Absolutely right. Gene editing is something that has come through in recent years and allows us to have this ability to precisely target parts of the DNA, the recipe that uh, leads to the generation of an animal or a plant and make very precise and defined changes. However, the technology that we're talking about here today is actually something that incorporates GMO. So the mark that we use that put, is put onto the male chromosome, the, the red glowing protein, is unavoidably a GM issue. So the mother hen that carries that and passes it to her sons, but not to her daughters, she is carrying a gene and she is a GMO. But what happens during the process is this separation of the male and female chromosomes, uh, male and female defining chromosomes like the X and Y. And what happens there is that we're putting a gene into the system. So there is GM in the system, but we take that GM out. So it is clearly only on the male. And we identify it using laser interrogation of the egg to see the presence of the gene by the red protein. And we remove that. And the female actually doesn't have the gene at all. It's a null segregation event. It's recognised by regulators as uh, something that's been used in plant breeding for, for many years. So the segregation of the chromosomes leading to the females only getting one and the male getting the other, and that, that outcome means that the hens actually are not GMO. And therefore, the hens going to the hen house are the same as the hens going to the hen house today. The eggs that they lay are exactly the same eggs as they lay today. Mm. So it, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And some jurisdictions have addressed that situation in, in a different way. Yes, in terms of genome editing, that is um, approached differently in different jurisdictions around the world. In Europe, they say anything that changes DNA is, uh, is genetic modification and therefore the product is GM. In America, they ask the question, have you deliberately changed the DNA? And that then acquires a certain amount of regulation. In Canada, they ask the question, have you changed the product? Which is actually a really good way of coming at the, uh, the question. If you've used technology, doesn't matter what the technology is, have you changed a quality of the product that we need to consider for the consumer? Mm. Uh, in South America and uh, in Japan and here in Australia, we've taken a different line, which is uh, what the actual change is 
to the organism. The regulations as they were originally established were to determine if there's foreign genes introduced into a new animal. And if you haven't introduced foreign genes, then that's considered to be something fairly equivalent to normal breeding practices and therefore of uh, low risk. And so the approach is to just take a look and ensure that there's no significant concern from that outcome. Of course, in this case, we're dealing with having introduced a gene that creates a GMO, the mother hen, and the question is, how do different jurisdictions deal with that? And what we have found is that in our outreach to countries around the world, in America, in South America, in Japan, here in Australia, the outcome, the offspring, are not considered to be GMO. So the hens that come through this process are not GMO and neither are the eggs that they produce as food. The males that we identify clearly are GMO, but we're taking them before they actually grow up into a chick. And so what you've got there is basically just an egg and it contains valuable material and that valuable material can be extracted for for various uses. But what you've done in this process is you've used technology. We've added gene technology in We've identified it and taken it out again, which seems strange, but it's for a purpose. And that purpose is to take out those males before they have to become a little day old chick that then has to be euthanized. And that's the the power of this technology to basically address that key concern of industry, something that they haven't yet been able to deal with by other means. Yeah. And I was reading that there is another technology involving in ovo detection of the sex in the egg before it's hatched. Is that another comparable or or viable solution or does your technology seems to go one step further? That's a very good way of describing it, Brian. Our technology goes that one step further. So there are ways of detecting whether your egg contains a male or female chick in development. The problem with those technologies as we see it is that you have to put the eggs into an incubator. They need to be in in an incubator for a certain period of time for that tiny little ball of cells to start growing form and structure that then allows differentiation of the growing male and the growing female. Now, at that early stage of embryo development, it's very difficult to do, but there are some techniques that involve identifying hormones that are beginning to be produced uh, and other structures. But those techniques require incubation of the eggs to a certain period, usually halfway through incubation, so nine days of incubation, and they require a sample to be taken from inside the egg and for that sample to be analysed, for the egg that the sample came from to be identified and then removed, and that normally means taking the eggs out of the incubator, doing the analysis, and then reassorting the eggs, handling them, and then putting them back into the incubator. Those kind of techniques uh, are known to reduce the hatchability of the eggs. So if you mess around with those eggs during that period, Some of them then fail to hatch. So you reduce the number of hens that come out at the end of this process. But you also, once you've identified the male, are removing an egg that contains a quite well-formed embryo that you then have to euthanize. So it actually doesn't really remove the issue of euthanasia. It just brings it forward so that you're not doing it on a a cute, fluffy, yellow little hatch chick. You're doing it on an embryo within the egg, which, you know, from our point of view, as we're approaching this problem, is questionable in terms of the value that presents. Also, what's in that egg is is a pretty well-formed embryonic chick. And the material that's in there is now a a very low-value waste product. Now, that's a very kind of callous economic view of these things. But if you use the technology that we're presenting, you take an egg at point of lay when there is essentially what we all would recognise as egg white and yolk 
and a tiny little ball of cells. Now, we were actually thinking right now of how can we remove that ball of cells because that's the only GMO material in it. The egg yolk and the egg white are really good high-value materials that can be used for a whole range of things. So there are other approaches going on to try and remove the need to cull the hatched male chicks. Mm -hmm. The question is to what extent those actually address the key issue of euthanasia of an organism. Yes. And we're trying to get that before it is really even a recognisable organism, just a tiny ball of cells. Yes. And that little ball of cells is um, about a quarter of the size of your little fingernail <laughs> when that egg is laid. There's 60,000 cells all clustered together. Yes. And they haven't yet decided what they're going to be, whether they're going to be the backbone or the legs or the arms or the head or whatever. There's just a, a little clump of cells. And when you talk about this high-value material that's left when you remove these male chromosome eggs at such an early stage in the process, what is that used for? One of the things that we can do with the eggs that uh, we identify as male and, and remove from the system is is actually take them across into uh, production of vaccines. And um, many people aren't aware that the flu vaccine that's used every year for um, the seasonal flu is actually grown in eggs. Mm. And there has to be a supply of eggs to um, to the companies that manufacture that vaccine. Uh, this is a way of actually, if you like, diverting something that would have been, you know, an unfortunate waste product from the production of eggs for food and taking that across into something that's really important and valuable for the public, which is the generation of vaccines to protect them from some very nasty viruses. I guess that's another added benefit for, for looking at this system. Is, is the industry beating down your door to implement it? Not exactly beating down our door. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of effort looking at the other types of technology with the recognition that uh, you have to introduce eggs into an incubator. So, you know, that's not halving the amount of eggs that go into an incubator. It's not saving as much money as you could, and it's not entirely addressing the problem. But they're trying to, you know, step away from having to hatch and cull. We've been talking with industry and we work very closely with a range of people in different aspects of industry from the, the top end, the, the genetics companies, right through the breeders and the hatchers, really to say, you know, how would our technology integrate into their current practice? And there are very straightforward ways of introducing it. But the most important thing is that we have to introduce this gene into the male defining chromosome of the chicken. That means we have to work with birds and genetics and we're changing those genetics ever so slightly, but we are introducing into the system a GMO. And of course, the industry is like really keen on how our solution addresses the issue, but they're also concerned. They're concerned that, you know, we're now introducing something new into the system that's never been there before. And, and that's why it's so important to have opportunities like this to, to talk to you, Brian, and, and to the audience to get a sense of how's the public going to respond to this? Because we see this as being a great way of dealing with this issue. But at the end of the day, it's the consumer, it's the public that will decide whether this is a great way or not. And the companies, they're hesitant. They see the value, but they are also concerned as to what will the public make of this? They, I think, are, are pretty confident that this is such a good solution and is something that the public can understand and not be concerned about and realise that the eggs they're getting in the supermarket are the same as today. But that still has to happen. So, you know, we're, part of the work that we're doing now is not just in the lab, but is, you know, out there on the streets and trying to reach out to the public and, 
and start those conversations. It's a really important part of what we're doing. That's true. And I guess with your background for so long in, in this area, you would have seen all the discussions about ethical implications, genetics and cloning and GMO and so on. So it's good for you to be, I guess, have all that knowledge and be able to bring it to the table in, in this instance. Absolutely. I mean, we understand that from a, a public point of view, they really need to know that what's being presented to them as, as food products from agriculture uh, are safe and healthy. And that if this kind of technology is being used, then there's been the appropriate oversight and the regulators are there for that. Um, the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator, who looks at anything that involves this sort of genetic technology, and Food Standards Australia New Zealand, who looks at what the outcomes are if they're food that's a, a product going to the marketplace. And we've worked with them over many years to understand what it is that they want to see in a product that will mean that it is safe. And uh, it's absolutely essential we do that from a point of view of uh, providing something to the marketplace, to the consumer. But I think it's something that, you know, sometimes people forget. We may be scientists, but we're also mums and dads. We also go to the supermarket and buy food. We bring our friends over and feed them. We have our mums and dads around, our kids at the table. We want to know that that food is safe too. And that's the role of the regulator. And that's why we take it very seriously to work with them closely and make sure everything is up to scratch. Well, thanks, Mark. I really could talk to you all yeah. day about your work. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm it's, enjoying this. It's really fascinating. And, you know, to see how the gene technologies like yours can have this huge positive impact on animal welfare. It's really exciting. It's something couldn't have even contemplated, you know, 20 years ago, really. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when, when I first started out in this field, this was unimaginable. What we're doing now is absolutely unimaginable. It was science fiction, yeah. uh, really. And now it's a reality and it, it's so powerful. I'm just, I feel privileged to be involved, you know, in this field at this time. It's just like right place, right time. But also just a quick, you know, thank you to you, because I think as I've tried to emphasize in this, the conversation with the public is so important, you know, to actually get those conversations happening. Absolutely critical for us as scientists. We can't be working in in ivory towers and then descending from the ivory towers to the lands below showing the shiny thing that we've developed. It's got to be with the public alongside us all the way in the journey. So, And as you said, you, you're part of the public anyway. You're part of it. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's not like you're removed or anything. It's, 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 yeah. it's, um, it's, it's really exciting. And again, Mark, uh, I wish you all the best and thanks for your time today. I've really appreciated talking to you. Fantastic. Thanks very much indeed, Brian. We've been talking today with Dr Mark Tizard, Senior Scientist and Project Leader at CSIRO's Australian Animal Health Laboratory. And thank you for listening. If you would like any more information on male chick culling, visit the RSPCA Knowledge Base at kb.rspca.org.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast series at the RSPCA Australia website, rspca.org.au, or all the usual podcast suspects. I'm Brian Daly and I look forward to your company next time on the RSPCA Australia Humane Food Podcast. Podcast.